Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, airlines in crisis as the spread of the coronavirus hits air travel demand and prompts carriers into their own outbreak of capacity cuts and profit warnings amid the threat of more airline failures. And a year on from the grounding of the MAX, we look at the continuing challenges facing Boeing to get the type back in service. My name's Graham Dunn, and I'm joined by my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, it's um, it's definitely been an interesting few weeks. Mm. Uh, a busy old time for us, as for the, for the industry, and even when we were thinking and sort of plotting out the theme of the podcast and what we'd be talking about a few days ago, it's, it's, it's mm. already very, very different. It is. We're seeing, uh, it's a story, you, you know, if you're trying to track all the individual airline announcements we're getting on, on routes um, being cut or... Or frequencies being reduced, or um, aircraft being grounded—it's kind of that's a full-time job on its own. And doing that, it's hard to get really a, a grasp of the full picture, isn't it? Even um, it's, it's almost easier to stand back sometimes and, and kind of consider it as a whole. And I think important to do that as well. And I think from you know the big change over the last few weeks or so has really been the coronavirus, the impact of which I think everyone was probably prepared that it would be. You know, there was plenty of talk of you know this is going to expand outside of China, mm. um, but it, you know it's, it really has expanded mm. out, and in particular, um, I mean all regions are impacted, but um, we're seeing it very heavily in Europe now. We are so um, so in Europe, we've got obviously Italy has become the, the centre of the biggest biggest outbreak um, outside China now, I think. Mm. So and and the Italian market again, it's, there's some ambiguity. So um, overnight, we've heard that the the kind of uh, quarantine, as it were, that's been applied into northern Italy is now applied to the whole country. But there's some ambiguity around what that means for air connectivity. So I think flights are still operating. Uh, well, it's um, difficult. I mean, if, for example, you're going on holiday to Italy yeah, in well, early, yeah. early April, <laughs> two days after the outbreak, you're not quite sure Yeah, and, <laughs> uh, if anyone happens to be doing that. Yeah, it's difficult. And I was looking, um, uh, Eamon Brennan of um, Eurocontrol put out some figures on Twitter, I see, that so yesterday, which is when we're recording, is the 9th of March, um, that um, Italian movements, air movements around Italy were down 35% year on year on the, the 9th of March. So a huge impact there. Um, uh, but even that, I, uh, it's difficult to imagine there's even th- that level of connectivity happening with, mm. with what's going on there. And when, when you look at, um, you, you imagine what the demand for travel must be actually rock bottom there, really. Um, um, but And yeah, and as we know, the Italian market um, is kind of uh, a big uh, area for the low-cost carriers particularly, so it'll be interesting to see looking at their traffic figures, I guess, when we get them for for, for this month. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, in this morning we had um, Air France KLM put out its traffic figures. They were, mm. from a European perspective, they're an interesting one to watch because a few days ago we had Ryanair and Wizz Air's figures out, and the, the, this is traffic data for February, and it was, it, it was, and it was a bit odd because you had... You know, Ryanair traffic ups however many percent and we're up nine, ten percent, you know. Mm. But that's because they're growing carriers and, and it was Europe and the, the cuts were only beginning to impact in February. Air France KLM is the first sort of of, of the major European carriers, the big groups, you know, they've had to suspend half a dozen destinations they were serving in China from pretty much the end of January. Mm. So you start to see it, and passenger traffic was down 25% on Asia routes. Um, that was the capacity cut, something like 15%. So, you know, it's a 10-point drop in load factor. Mm. You're starting to also see short-haul traffic for across Air France KLM. That was down, mm. um, you know, only by 1%, something like that. But again, 
more so than uh, capacity. And I think that that started to to give 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 indications of mm. of the scale. And that that's at a stage even before we've seen the cancellations, which have now spread out across March. That's it. So again, look at those Euro control figures. So overall in European airspace, movements were down 10% on the 9th of March. I think you're right. Even then, you're, you're looking, you're wondering you know, whether the load factors will be down on the flights that are actually operating. So it's a far kind of bigger impact, I think, that, that we'll only really get a full grasp of it, I think, when we start getting figures through, as you say, for, for March, where I think um, we're looking, obviously, Italy has got a particularly difficult situation. We're looking at kind of projections of the UK where we are obviously are heading towards possibly a, a similar path where cases are kind of growing pretty fast now so so yeah and all this I guess where this is coming from um, a key thing would be corporate travel is is way down a lot of companies um, for, for a myriad reasons really will don't want their staff traveling so um, and that has a big impact um, on on uh, across the board really you know it's not a a lot of companies will be using low-cost carriers as well. But also, yeah, generally, uh, the appetite for travel is pretty low. We've seen um, what comes with that at the moment for a lot of people will be having to self-isolate if they've been to an area that, even if they're travelling to there now, when when it's relatively clear in a particular mm. country, they don't know what's going to happen. And, and leisure markets, I guess, are another one where, you know, uh, we've seen people uh, stuck in a hotel in Tenerife for, for weeks, for example, you know, that the appetite for travel... Is pretty low. Um, what's unclear at the moment, really, is 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 how big, how much more this will spread. Um, so we we obviously based in Europe, so we we can see that. So the next couple of weeks, I think, is going to be key to that. Whether we're looking at um, at um, more countries ending up in an Italy type situation, or whether the, the situation will will get better. And obviously, uh, talking about situation getting better, obviously in China, the number of new cases has has been falling, um, and so, yeah, there, there is evidence that this could be turned around. Obviously, this is kind of unprecedented, I guess, in terms of its impact so beyond SARS and everything. So it's, it's difficult to imagine, you know, maybe there might be a more medium-term impact on appetite for travel. Who knows? But, and but it's it's very, it's very, very tough environment. And I think one of the additional challenges for carriers, um, I mean, th- these are challenges that, that the Asian carriers have been facing, especially the mm. Chinese operators, right from the start, uh, where you know all their markets are impacted. I think what you're seeing when it, when it spreads to to the other regions, you know, so within short haul European travel, so when it's affecting long haul markets, you know, there's the aircraft that are suspended on long haul routes to Asia, but actually, to some extent, there was still an opportunity that they could maybe redeploy some of that capacity. Hmm. To the uh, to US network or networks that weren't impacted, you know, potentially, you know, reuse some of that capacity. Obviously, with short haul aircraft, you know, once the markets in Europe have gone, there isn't really anywhere else to put them because no. even if even if it's Italy, which is obviously taking the prime brunt of the cap, the capacity cuts, demand elsewhere isn't fantastic and is and is you know is, is going to also be hit. Yeah, exactly. There's nowhere yeah that, that stands out as being kind of a safe zone at the moment. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And obviously in the US we've seen the Trump administration kind of playing down the, the whole virus, but very quickly that situation appears to be changing. So on transatlantic now, um, you know that's clearly going to have have an impact. And and at an individual airline level, you see across the board we've we've seen Korean have, have just said that they're. Um, um, they've had an eighty percent cut of their international capacity. Obviously, Korea's been particularly badly, mm. badly hit. Um, so, a hundred of their one hundred and forty-five aircraft, passenger aircraft, are, are currently grounded. 
um, uh, everywhere you look, Hawaiian, which relies on the mm. Asian market coming in, uh, tourism, has, has said it's particularly bad. And I guess Cathay Pacific is probably one of the, the most the, the most stark examples of, of of this, where they're grounding you know dozens and dozens of aircraft. Um, they've they've got it from all sides. Really, they're already in a different difficult position because of the the protests in Hong Kong and. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's it's quite a mess at the moment. It's, it's um, yeah, trying to find a clear view. I think it's going to take a while. And I think one of the other aspects is that is how the airline industry has changed now from something like SARS. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a bigger industry. Um, you have particularly the Asia market; it's built out an awful lot. So they're there and China, but but you also have an industry which I think has become more conscious of keeping capacity in the right. Uh, the right place. So they've been much more cautious. They, mm. you know, we've seen it already. Traffic actually was passenger traffic had already dropped last year. Oh, not dropped, but the great growth had, had slowed. Yeah, a lot of that was around airlines, especially in Europe, thinking uh, we want to keep um, disruption to a minimum during challenges mm. over the summer. What's happening with demand? Bit of unknown elements to that. So you, you already see this more cautious approach. And I think actually airlines in, in Europe have acted it's it's a difficult message to tread because on the one hand they want they still want to encourage people to come and fly and so mm. tell people they they are accepting bookings and they are flying. But at the same time, they're trying to tell their investors, they're trying to, uh, to make shareholders clear that mm. you know they are they are keeping capacity in trim. And I guess the other thing, and you've seen it a lot here within in the UK is messaging around this idea of of ghost flights which has yeah. there's a whole environmental impact which is you know what people don't want to see is airlines flying empty flights just to keep slots going no that's it so yeah you're right on the, the, the it's a blessing in in many ways that a lot of the industry as you said moved away from that kind of double digit growth kind of um a trend that we'd seen um Particularly around the, the peak years in 2017 and, and things, so so it's it's helpful that airlines are in that kind of retrenchment sort of mode to an extent. Anyway, we weren't obviously talking about capacity going down, but but it certainly was um, moderating that growth. Although in some individual airline cases, Norwegian being an example, it was actually a, a reduction in capacity. On that point as well, I guess the grounding of the Max has turned out to, again. There's a bit of a blessing that that maybe that hasn't come back as quickly as maybe some might have thought. So we're not. You know, if, if the max was suddenly back, so you're adding 400, technically 400 aircraft into the mix at, in this, this environment. That that and that's those are just the ones that were in service when the grounding happened. Um, that that clearly would be unhelpful, and I, I'd imagine a lot of them would would remain grounded. On that side of things, I guess the industry kind of was in in some cases in in a mindset, but I think still we're obviously the the impact of this is is. It's, it's pretty um pretty significant beyond that really and it's um as you say it's um that plenty of airlines are saying this this could become you know extremely problematic so korean air as i go back to them they're saying it is a threat to their survival that if this carries on um um you know as as as, as things are at the moment so and it's not alone in that as well absolutely so we're going to look at the financial impact for airlines and in fact the impact on the sustainability of airlines which is um come under even closer scrutiny uh, in recent days in part two. For all the latest on how airlines are responding to the coronavirus, visit flightglobal.com and don't forget to register to get all our best analysis, interviews and opinion. Welcome back. So before the break, we were talking about the financial impact on airlines of coronavirus and um, IATA is the uh, Global Airline Association 
uh, they've been having a go at trying to quantify that, and uh, that's not an easy task. It's not. So earlier in February, they um, they put out an initial estimate that said that the impacts on revenues for airlines would be around uh, just below $30 billion over the year. Uh, we'll put that in context in a minute. But the, um, the but obviously, in an indication of how quickly this situation has, has progressed, it was within a couple of weeks they're putting out a new um, set of numbers that are much more significant than that. Um, so um, they kind of basically put out two scenarios looking at a limited outbreak. Um, I'm not sure exactly where we cross into the two different scenarios <laughs> yes. but but certainly um a limited outbreak they suggested would have a are now saying would have a 63 billion uh, dollar impact on, on global airline revenues which they say equates to around 11 percent so 11 percent reduction in what they had projected for the whole year in a, an extended um outbreak covering a much wider area um they, they were looking at an impact of around 113 billion dollars on, on global revenues in 2020 it was around 19% and they said this is in line with kind of the, the, the global financial crisis. From that point of view, uh, yes, those numbers I guess are still open for, for revision as well themselves. I guess there, there may be a point where that limited scenario, for, for example, is, is no longer no longer relevant. Um, and, and when you look at some of the numbers that are coming out from airlines in terms of capacity levels cut and and things like that, it's it's you kind of start to to, to, to not doubt those numbers, but see what, how they could get much worse um, as uh, if this if this doesn't peak um, in that, the next couple of months. Absolutely, um, and where you see airlines, you know, and, that, and that IATA had already you know centred its initial, uh, you know, where most of the challenges were going to be was obviously in the Asian market. That would be where the revenues mm. were hardest hit there. And I suppose it's that mix. So for some carriers, you're seeing you know a lot of exposure mm. um, and you know large numbers of whole networks kind of essentially wiped out. You know, whole markets gone. Mm. Um, and then for other regions, you know, Latin America, or whatever, it's relatively. Mm. unscathed so i suppose yeah. once it all balances out but certainly when you see the kind of levels of capacity that that airlines are taking out out of the market the korean we talked about before mm. um you know Qantas, i think just announced eight a380s has been taken out of service for six months you know th- yeah. these are this is a big chunk of capacity so you can start to see why the impact is 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 so so large mm. i suppose the 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 one area of course is it doesn't necessarily collate with 120 or 115 off the bottom line because yeah. simply by not cutting capacity, there's um, airlines can, uh, or by cutting capacity, airlines can limit the impact mm. of this. They're obviously, you know, implementing a series of measures, whether that is, you know, you've seen various carriers looking at. Um, perhaps temporary layoffs or you know uh, recruitment freezes and so forth and then from a cost side there is a sort of bizarre upside i guess through oil yeah so fuel prices um are extremely low at the moment and um if you yeah if if you look obviously fuel is a huge proportion of, of airline costs so it's not insignificant that um that because demand for oil is so low um, you know, globally and not obviously not just restricted to the airline industry just because of a general economic slowdown we're looking at fuel at, at rock bottom prices with the caveat that if you're hedged at a much higher price than that doesn't apply so yeah and, it takes a while for it, it to, filter while through. to filter through so so for a lot of carriers yeah that they'll while there'll be um myriad kind of negative impacts of, of this there is this um and, and not insignificant as i say in um it, um, helpful factor in in low fuel. I think um, 
uh, important bit of context as well is that for a lot of airlines, the summer season, Northern Hemisphere summer season, as we're heading into, is is really critical. We've seen in in Europe, for example, um, a lot of carriers fall over going into the winter because um, the summer hasn't been strong enough to give them that 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 kind of push through the difficult sum, um, winter months. Sorry. Um, so an absolutely crucial summer season, particularly in leisure markets, clearly is is it's really um you know it's going to make or break whether this extends if it starts to extend towards june july um, it, yeah, it's, you're absolutely it's right in terms because in terms of revenues in terms of the force <clears throat> capacity in terms of yields 25 percent of you know ryanair's season in july or august compared to 25 percent ryanair season in march you know you, they're different levels in terms of the revenue you're bringing in mm. um so there's a definite as you said, the longer it, it goes on, and you know, they're, they're, I think I, I guess that is the big cut. At the moment, you're seeing airlines are largely cutting capacity through to the start of uh, early April to mainland China, perhaps uh, through to the end of end of April. The next stage, you know, I'm sure there'll be further capacity cuts beyond that. But it, I guess it's when you start seeing that ki- uh, kicking into the, the those peak summer months, June, July, August, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, then you really know the scope and extent of the troubles. Yeah, and there, there's clearly going to be a pent up demand for, for air travel. So if, if you know, um, as it seems maybe unlikely at the moment, but if in a couple of months things are looking um, a lot better, then then yeah, there could be a sudden boost in the summer months. Will will, will be um, relatively strong. But um, but yeah, it's um, you only have to look at airline share prices, kind of down twenty five percent and more, kind of across the board, to know that, that a lot of people are seeing this as a um, extremely now, serious situation, and in some cases, it has kind of had the ultimate impact. So. Now, one of the things that IATA and that airlines are are seeking going into that summer season, even now, is some respite to the the slot rules, which kind of govern mm. what what they can fly. And we've already seen that a little bit around those those affected areas where where flights aren't allowed at all. So. Um, so uh, under government advice, so China is a sort of a good example where slot rules around that have been relaxed. But there's sort of a, a wider call for that to be suspended mm-hmm. over the summer, isn't it? Yeah. So we uh, we have the eighty twenty rule, for example, where if you don't use your slot eighty percent of your your slots, then then it's um it's open um for someone else to to, to to you lose the right to them essentially. So there, there's a logical call for that to. To be, to be relaxed, um, um, and yeah, it's fairly clear there won't be that many airlines kind of queuing up to to take on that the, the, the extra slots at the moment anyway. So I guess there's a wide. It seems logical, um, but obviously there's a lot of politics around that and, um, and, that, and issues and, to. <laughs> yeah, and that sort of plays into this other wider issue around um, to what level the state should be stepping in for airlines, and we saw that in real detail and. and coming forward with the collapse of UK regional flyby. This is it. So there's, there's a, a kind of a, the juxtaposition at the moment is, you know, the governments want airlines, you know, connectivity is brilliant for the economy um, and and all of that. But on the other side, there's the environment, as we've talked about in a lot of podcasts, has become this, um, this uh, really shot up the agenda, particularly in Europe in the last 12 months, where, you know, people are asking much more fundamental questions about, you know, whether they should be flying as much. And also, yeah, and it plays into that whether government should be, um, you know, keeping airlines afloat um, when they are, you know, pretty big 
contributors to CO2 emissions and projected to get get um, more significant in terms of the global total, but simply because they don't have any easy answers to to that those um, CO2 emissions. So um, it's a difficult situation. We've seen obviously Flybe, as you touched on, have um, have uh, have collapsed after seeming to get a reprieve about a month or so ago. Um, in this case, it's, it's difficult to judge whether this was a busted kind of business model. So, as ever with with an airline collapse, um, it's um, it's uh, it's it's tough to kind of cite one factor. But but clearly, one of the things Flybe was asking for in in order to keep operating was a reduction in the the air passenger duty, which is levied with with the environment very much in mind. Um, and the challenge for for all governments now is that yes, IATA itself has has said that governments should, um, during this period certainly, should consider making lives easier for airlines by um, you know, maybe temporarily cutting taxes or duty. Um, but um, the, the, the tough challenge for, for the governments is they know that if they do that, then it's difficult to row back. And at the same time, they, they've got pretty tough targets around the Paris Agreement, for example. We've seen with the, um, the recent uh, uh, court ruling that mm. Heathrow's third runway was illegal, because or unlawful because it did not, um, the planning didn't take into account the um, the Paris um, uh, goals for for emissions. So there's a it's a, it's a difficult one, and um, you know in some cases it's easier in other markets in Asia, for example. I say easier, but certainly the government um, governments are much more able to inject infinite cash into a and into an airline to keep it going. Where else? <coughs> but you, you look to Europe, for example, where they're much stringent, much more stringent state aid rules for any business. Um, the way that way that governments could help airlines is is around that that reduction in taxes, for example. But yeah, there, there's going to be a very vocal lobby that won't want them to do that. So the, the balance it is, is it's, it's impossible to judge at the moment. Really and, it, well. and it is fascinating. It happened to be in Belfast at the weekend, which was one of the more impacted airports. You know, not only do you see flyby aircraft on the ground, you see lots of people who mm. who. You know, I'm really concerned about that loss of connectivity, mm. um, and you know who's going to who's going to replace it. So, so it is very difficult. I, I think your your point. I mean, the Virgin Connect consortium that was it, it's one of the factors it did mention uh, about Flybe was that the coronavirus had also had an impact yeah. in terms of uh, you know faltering demand as it was trying to get through these these. Uh, you know, I think that probably made the crisis more urgent. Um, but, you know, as a model, it's it's really difficult. I think regional carriers in particular have a challenge because mm. it's a bit more of a, of a fluid market. They were, you know, they, they will make an investment on a particular, you know, whether to go for turboprops or jets, depending on what they, you know, yeah. which they think. And, you know, fuel price is a massive factor in that. And that can make, the, you know, some routes really profitable and, and then suddenly they, they're not. And also, there's, you know, for, you know, and it comes into context, Flyby, which was, you know, had a lot of profits, you know, rarely uh, recorded a profit over the last decade in what is the most profitable period for mm. airlines historically. And that sort of shows the challenge. And Flybe was heavily hit by, you know, was squeezed by low-cost carriers coming in and, you know, they ended up slightly nomadic because mm. as a regional carrier in the UK... That's pretty much if you're if you're a low cost carrier, you can go and and, and you've got a problem in Italy, and you know, you'll see carriers turning to other markets in Europe. You know, Ryanair will look to other parts where they could put capacity, or look to mm. increase, you know, cover the, the the revenues and the and the and the yields. If you're Flybe and you're struggling in that market, mm. there's not many other places you can go if you're a UK regional carrier. 
No, on on that exposure to a single market. In Flybe's case, of course, as well, they were impacted by, um, after the Brexit vote, the the value of the pound kind of fell through the floor. And um, with a lot of their expenses in other currencies, that made it particularly difficult for them as well. And their cash situation was was pretty dire. Um, And had been, obviously, for a longer term, but certainly that wasn't helped either by that. So you're right, when you've when you're focused on the small market and this is where i think a lot of the vulnerabilities are with if we this situation carries on with the virus i think in the in the next two or three months we may see other certainly the smaller carriers struggling to stay afloat is that vulnerability to single market where you can't just say well actually we can move those 10 a320s to to another base in Austria, for example, in EasyJet's case, or, the, or yeah, abs- so uh, absolutely. The, yeah. the the irony is that another carrier that would have had that problem, Air Italy, mm. uh, which was largely Milan-based, uh, was already forced to take the decision to cease operations even before the challenges in Italy came around. That's it. I think um, it's probably reasonable to say if they hadn't made that decision, then that their situation now um, would have. Um, been pretty pretty dire. I think um, with Air Italy, obviously, it had uh, Qatar Airways as a, a 49% owner of what used to be Meridiana. There's a whole complicated history about Meridiana owning the Air Italy name from... Yeah, you're, you're an expert on this. You could write all, <laughs> all day on this, couldn't you? In fact, have you got a book coming out? I think so. I think that should be. The Italian market has been consolidated and consolidated and the, these, these small... And by the time Air Italy ended up as a relatively small carrier mm. and um when you look at the italian market ryanair is you know the biggest carrier in there because of these constant failings that the carriers had had qatar had an attempt to kind of you know provide there's very tempting market lots of airlines have had a go mm. lots of foreign, foreign airlines have been attracted to trying to to build a partner in there because it's such an attractive market and Italian carrier, you know, the the prime Italian carrier, Alitalia, seems so very weak. And so yeah. it feels like a market. The time didn't work for, for Qatar. I think there was some more challenges around the uh, the long-term stakeholder in there the, uh, through Al-Asada, which had carried losses for, for a long period of time. Mm. I guess with Italy, the other then issue is now you're looking at a lockdown, you know, really troubled country through coronavirus. And it already has quite a troubled carrier in Alitalia. Mm. Yeah, and we've already seen because of Alitalia's troubles, they've kind of plateaued really in terms of their capacity over the last few years. They're obviously still in administration. So, um, um, yes, certainly the environment to, to, to rescue that, that operator as it as it stands at that size seems seem tough enough already. But, um, it's yeah, not going to make it any easier. Yeah, and, and with Air Italy, obviously, um, a lot of their troubles perhaps came partly from having that Qatar as their investor which meant obviously we all know that Air Italy kind of became the centre of that of a kind of reignited gulf spat um, over the fact that um, the three big US operators Delta United and American felt that um, Qatar Airways was using Air Italy's proxy fifth freedom flights into um, into the US and and um, that meant um Kind of airity lacked friends in its efforts to, to, to kind of transatlantically and and everywhere really. I mean, it struggled, and it's, by the end, its network was kind of heavily skewed towards Africa. Um, obviously, a very a developing market where, but not not but the market it originally targeted transatlantic. Exactly, and, and that was perhaps underscored by we saw within a couple of weeks of the decision to liquidate Air Italy that uh, Qatar Airways announced a. Uh, 
the restoration of its co-chair with American Airlines. Mm. It was a specific comments about yeah. what had cleared the air, but it seems you know very likely that that had taken out a, a kind of major obstacle there. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, I think yeah, what will be interesting if, if if Italy turns out to be the country and did have the, some of the worst impacts of coronavirus, as you say, what's a tempting market again may emerge from this with some what looked like big holes for for operators to fill, particularly as you say, of the Alitalia situation kind of worsens as a result of this and and what can be salvaged from from that is is smaller as a result um you know it may be that obviously Ryanair and EasyJet have already got quite a strong hold on some of those markets get even stronger but it may be that someone else is again tempted to have another go um but yeah a lot of ifs and buts really around that but again Italy as ever I think will be an even (laughs) even more fascinating market as a result of what's playing out there and had played out just before the virus kind of took hold and there Italy was a magnet for for many stories and one of those was it was also a customer for the Max Boeing 737 Max and after the break we are going to talk to John Hemmerdinger from our US office about Boeing's continued efforts to try and get that aircraft back in the sky all of our airline business cover interviews are available to read online if you haven't already just set up a free account on flightglobal.com so this March marks a year since the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX. Down the line, I've got uh, John Hemmerdinger, uh, Flight Global's North American editor. John, the past 12 months, I guess that's been a pretty quiet period for you? Uh, yeah, yeah, you could say that. Oh, um, not much going uh, on. Not, no, no, not much happening here. It, it, uh, the 737 MAX has been the story of the year, and it has been the leading headlines well until until the last few months it's been absolutely leading headlines um for the last 12 months and and the, yeah. the last aircraft crashed on 10 march last year and then the grounding took effect three days later i mean that story in itself the the whole grounding process i mean it feels almost like a lifetime ago but i mean that's had such a knock-on effect hasn't it yeah, and the grounding first started, it initially started in China, but the rest of the world reacted within just a couple of days. And that put put on the ground uh, about 340 737 MAX. And then, of course, um, Boeing continued production uh, for about, oh, I'm thinking it was about nine, maybe actually more like seven or eight months after that. So, mm. so the number of grounded aircraft has done nothing but increase. Which is, which is extraordinary. And all the while... You know, I don't think anyone in, in the industry was quite ready for, for you know, and it, it is pretty un, unprecedented for how long, you know, it would take for the aircraft to return. Yeah, Boeing initially made it sound like it was going to return very quickly. They, they said they had a fix that was ready for the MCAS system. And, uh, and then it just continually got pushed further and further back as um, as more issues with the aircraft came up and as uh, also as uh, concerns about the certification process arose and as the U.S. Congress and even um, other federal authorities started to get involved in investigating the internal workings of Boeing and, um, and the internal workings of the FAA, which was responsible for certificating the aircraft. And I guess really there's sort of been a change of pace or a change of maybe a change of approach from Boeing since since the leadership and since the, the change in leadership and the and the turn of the year. How has Boeing's approach changed or how is Boeing uh, dealing with the issue now? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great, great topic to touch on because uh, uh, former CEO Dennis Muhlenberg was in charge until the very end of late last year. And he received a lot of criticism for being 
um, sort of tight-lipped uh, for not being particularly open, um, and also for setting uh, goals for when the aircraft would be back in service, goals mm. that, that Boeing never achieved. And, and towards the end of last year, FAA Administrator Steve Dixon publicly chastised Boeing for those goals uh, and and even made even sort of accused Boeing of trying to uh, push through the process before the FAA was ready. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, uh, David Calhoun, a longtime board member, took over on 13 January for Dennis Muhlenberg, and he immediately held an hour-long conference call with reporters, and he got on TV, CNBC, and he's been all over uh, speaking about the process, and he earned a lot of praise from observers for that openness. It was a change of tone. At the same time, he said earlier this year that the 737 MAX now would likely enter service at the begin- at, in the middle of 2020. So mm. instead of saying um, it'll be two weeks or it'll be a month, he gave the company a full six months, which seemed to really please the regulator and seem more realistic to people who are watching the whole process. So I guess that is the the question on everyone's lips, a, a much easier question to, to ask and to pose than to answer. Uh, what's the sort of thinking in terms of how how soon the aircraft could be back in service? Yeah, Boeing is still, as of even as of yesterday, saying that they expect a mid-2020 return to service certification. And uh, from what I can tell, they seem to be mostly on track. There are uh, several outstanding issues. One involved wiring bundles, and there was concern that those bundles could cause sparks. Uh, That issue was unrelated to the MCAS software, but it's one of those things that came up as a result of the extreme focus on the MAX and sort of the entire review of the certification. Now, that issue is expected to get dealt with. Uh, We don't have any updates on where that stands. The other uh, issue that needs to be worked through is how the world's regulators are going to certificate the aircraft. And and if they're going to do it together, whether some regulators are going to require different different requirements or or different dates. There was a report, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that Canada is considering making changes to the flight manual uh, that would require, it actually would address non-normal procedures. These are the procedures pilots use to respond when something like the MCAS system activates. Now, whether Canada will go that route or whether the FAA will eventually align itself with what Canada wants to do remains unknown, but there is some risk that there that the return to service could be sort of staggered and different mm. among different countries. So that's being worked through right now. We, and we, we don't know how that's going to end up also, but generally it's thought that these things are getting processed and at least somewhat on a timeline similar to what Boeing is suggesting. And finally, just from the airline customers, the, the, the max customers who had the aircraft and, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a long time to be without those, those aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's been a different response to me from from each carriers, but how has it sort of impacted the airline customers? Well, it initially had a but had a huge impact, and we were in a time of record growing air travel demand, uh, both in the U.S. and uh, carriers really around the globe and carriers mm. in Asia that had huge orders of these aircraft, and carriers in in um, Central and South America. Airline, these are airlines 
like Copa and Goal that rely entirely on the 737. Then you have Southwest in the U.S. and you have American and United. Um, so the, all these airlines were sort of desperate to get the aircraft in the skies and they were uh, reworking their schedules to try to deal with not having the aircraft and the, uh, the planes were were packed as would be expected the the uh, existing planes in the fleet uh, but things um things have, things have changed over the last <laughs> few weeks as a result of the coronavirus now it it may just be temporary and and the coronavirus has taken over as the top story the top aviation story right now uh, but uh, united airlines yesterday announced that it was reducing its domestic capacity 10% well, that's a lot of capacity for an airline mm. like United. So it it begs the question, would United need 737 MAX right now if the aircraft was returned to service and certificated? Uh, we just don't know. We don't know how long the coronavirus impact is going to last. It's generally thought it will be short term, but the effects are real and significant right now. So that throws another question over over when airlines are going to take the 737 maxes and once the airline returns to service will once the aircraft returns to service will airlines want them will they try to defer deliveries how will that play out yeah absolutely it's it's the, the as you say there there are a number of airlines for which it, it temporarily not having the max is is is, is not a disaster it's, it's somewhat ironic because for the last year or roughly 12 months, I suppose, before coronavirus hit, uh, airlines were clamoring for the aircraft and Boeing couldn't get, in, get it in their hands. And now Boeing, pretty soon Boeing's going to be wanting to get these aircraft off its books and into the hands of the airlines. And if things are in a few months as they are right now, the picture may be changed for Boeing. <laughs> this story is going to run and run. John, thanks for your time on this. Um, oh, my pleasure. And I would absolutely point people. Uh, John's written a really great analysis, which is on flightglobal.com, uh, which you can find, which talks about the, the change in leadership and the change of approach in Boeing and, and talks about several of the issues there. So I point people in that direction. Thank you very much, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we've referenced, including analysis of the challenges facing the Italian market in the podcast notes. And you can keep up to date with all the latest on how airlines are responding to the coronavirus at thenewlookflightglobal.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review. We're going to be probably doing a few more of these a bit more regularly, possible pop-up podcasts as we've got the opportunity, especially as with such a fast-developing news agenda. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you get their episodes into your inbox automatically. And we'll see you next time.